You're listening to the 123 show with me, Noreen Mir, this Wednesday afternoon. Let's turn to our first topic and, and guest of today. I'm super excited to welcome back on the program Sonali Fagaris, the founder of Green Queen, which is a health and sustainability online media platform. Uh, welcome, welcome, Sonali. How are you doing? Hi, Noreen. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hope you're having a good week. Yes, so far it's going okay. <laughs> so I, I know this time we're talking a little bit more about uh, plant-based food and how um, China is getting ab- on board, sort of. And, and that's really important because I was reading uh, on your newsletter uh, that, that, that China is actually responsible for 28% of global meat consumption. That's heaps. That's a lot of meat for one country. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for bringing that up and highlighting that really scary statistic. I think um, the last few months with the COVID crisis have really highlighted that we have some serious glaring issues in our global food systems and our our global food supply chains. And we have what's known as a, a, a crisis of future food security. And we need to figure out how to make sure that we're going to be able to feed the world. And the reality is, is that China is a big part of that conversation, given that it is um, accountable for a huge chunk of the global population. Um, Currently, the average Chinese person does not eat as much meat as the average U.S. uh, consumer, for example. However, due to China's sheer size, most people would be shocked to find out that not only does China consume 28% of the world's meat, but that's twice as much as the total meat consumed in the United States. So it's important to look at per capita and and individual behavior, but it's also important to look at volume. And so um, that's why a huge amount of food tech investors and specialists and and animal rights um, kind of, uh, you know, supporters are looking at China as a massive market that needs to be disrupted. And the good news, and, and I think you saw that in our special China edition of the our industry scoop, is that uh, China is getting disrupted. I think also with China and, and with a lot of uh, Chinese around the world is that meat features heavily in, in all the meals, in, in dinner, in lunch, and also breakfast. I mean, a lot of the times, um, you know, in, in, in Western countries, you know, you'll have cereal or porridge for breakfast. But in China or in a lot of Chinese uh, cuisine, you'll have congee with, with lean pork or lean beef. So there's always meat in, in sort of every meal. Well, I think China, much like the rest of the world, has, you know, swallowed this idea and this message that meat is, you know, the the, the king's food, you know, the the food that we all want, the food that is full of protein and will give you energy and Big and of and course we, we're de-breaking yeah. absolutely and and we're we're de we're, we're breaking down these 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 assumptions, um, some of which are, are not totally accurate and you know you can absolutely get protein from plants. In fact, most animals that provide you with protein are getting their protein from plants. So we're actually inefficiently going through them. Um, but the good news, the, the, the thing that's really interesting about the China market and the plant-based kind of news over there is um, really trying to see that we're, it's coming at at it from a different point of view. I think in China, when you want to go big, you need to be working with some of the big players. So some of the big news that's come in is, you know, Cargill working with KFC to launch plant-based nuggets or Starbucks um, China debuting a plant-based menu in 3,000 of its stores across the country, uh, whereby it's featuring Beyond Beef from Beyond Meat and Omni Pork and and a whole range of Oatly, the oat milk uh, company uh, drinks. So, you know, the, the, the effects have to be felt at an accessible level. 
Um, that's really important when you're talking about China, pricing and accessibility. And, and, and that's why the plant-based uh, food industry and the food tech industry is so interesting in Asia, because we're, we're, we're dealing with different uh, socioeconomic factors and different kind of demographic factors that make it a very different market from Europe or the U.S., where people may be willing to pay more for, you know, a plant-based burger. Absolutely. And I also think many, many businesses, like you said, are realizing there is an opportunity to, to have this market in China. I was just looking also at Nestle, uh, which is the Swiss-based uh, food and drink giant, have also announced they're going to spend $100 billion on a plant-based plant in China. It really is sort of the sign of the time. So, <laughs> unfortunately, Noreen, I'm very sorry to share that that news has been mis misshared and is misinterpreted. It is it not true? Uh, we we're actually working on a story for that right now. It's going live today. Um, unfortunately, so for, I think it's a hundred million, uh, first of all. And I think that the announcement was misunderstood by a great deal of the media. Um, actually, the announcement was suggesting that there would actually be a huge portion of that hundred million that would be going to expand the Purina pet food line, which is full of animal ingredients, as well as a dairy confectionery product known as um, the Nestle. Uh, let me just get you the exact name: the Nestle wafer Changzhen wafer, which contains dairy products. So uh, the plant-based. Uh, factory news was was slided in there, but there's no details as to when that factory would be built and how much of the hundred million would be given to the plant based factory. And to be honest, if you if you understand the, the if you go through the news, you would actually realize that most of this is going towards increasing animal uh, ingredient containing products. That's terrible. Then, yes. So it's it's uh, it's not such oh, good news, me. actually. Oh, no. no, no, no. You're you know what? A lot a lot of the media mis mis misrepresented the I'm news. Uh, we well. went through the. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We went through the uh, the press release with a fine tooth comb, and it's it's not it's not what it looks like. Well, I'm really glad so... we had you, Sonali, on the program to, to clarify <laughs> this for for us. But I'm so glad you brought that up because I didn't I didn't sort of want to pointed out if you but so thank you for bringing that up and Dad, and you know it's just correcting it, us it's yes. a really it's a really important lesson about being careful with headlines i think everyone's getting so excited about the advancements in plant-based and every week yes. yes yes and of course there is no doubt that there are plenty there is plenty of will from uh chinese the main chinese government but also state governments to kind of you know look at making their food system more secure and there's no way you can do that without you know putting some investment into plant-based and without kind of getting people to look at alternative proteins. And I know, you know, in our Asia alternative protein report, which is an in-depth overview of, of the, the, the region's industry, we, we talked a lot about how China is definitely one of the places where cultivated meats is going to play out. Now, cultivated meats are not plant-based. They are lab-grown or cell-based. That's another name for them. And essentially, it's using what, what's animal the other cells. What's name for them? Cell-based? So cell-based or lab-grown yes. or cultivated. And essentially, it's using cells from animals and, and, and growing they're growing parts of them in a lab. So, so you would meat. end up... It still, it's still meat. It's still meat. So it, like meat, but it's just absolutely. taking away the ethical... I, 
issues of exactly. it. Exactly. We, we call it slaughter-free in, at Green okay. Queens. Like that's okay. what we support. So anything that's slaughter-free. Also, there's a huge savings in emissions. Um, yeah. It also, there's a lot of great uh, uh, factor, uh, sort of criteria, not criteria. There's a lot to recommend about cultivated. You know, one of the things that's even, that from a food security point of view, that's really great is that you can have these bioreactors locally. So you don't need to be importing meat and seafood from across the world. So this is going to provide governments with a lot more security about their food chain and feeding their their citizens and this is going to be a huge part of the conversation for governments coming going forward the pandemic has exposed us but uh, climate change is going to continue to expose us you know we we did a really great piece of, uh, about a year ago or, or five six months ago where we talked about how you know you the five foods that you eat for breakfast um, you may no longer be able to eat much of because of climate change. And that was coffee, bananas, sugar, and tea, mm -hmm. and chocolate. Um, because you see the weather changes that global warming is bringing on mean that we won't have the same amount of arable land mm -hmm. to, to grow the same crops. So, um, you know, it's it's a big conversation. How do we, you know, ensure food security, and especially for smaller countries? You know, I know Singapore. It, this is something they're really worried about because they're a tiny island, and you know they need to be able to feed their nation state. And so they've put out an ambitious plan saying that by twenty, that, that within a few years they want to have thirty percent of their food grown domestically, which is a huge number. Yes. That's a huge number. Wow. Uh, I sometimes I wonder if, what will happen to Hong Kong. You know, where where I mean, we we have some food grown locally, but there's no way we can supply the whole population with what we grow here in Hong Kong, and we and we rely heavily on imported food. Um, a lot of it from China also. Um, I, I hello, Sanai. Yep, yes, yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, I was just going to also ask you, I know in Hong Kong, uh, before we launched uh, with Green Monday, uh, there was a cooperation with Omnipork, for example. Um, is is there the same sort of traction in China? I mean, or, or, or do Chinese consumers still prefer to have real pork? Or are we seeing much of a traction of Omnipork across in China? So Omnipork is, is, is actually a company owned by the people who own Green Monday and Green common. So they actually created the product. And I don't know if you saw the exciting news, but last week they debuted the world's first entirely vegan um, alternative for spam. Oh, so it's, a, yes. it's exactly like spam, but it's but it's vegan. Yes. They also debuted a new, and they call it Omni Luncheon Me. They also debuted a new product called Omni Strip, which is like pork strips, which will be super useful for Asian chefs because in Asian cuisine, we use a lot of pork strips. So, you know, they are really staying true to their to their kind of ethos of really giving Asian consumers and Asian cooks and chefs um, ingredients that can be, you know, alternatives to pork, given that pork is obviously the most consumed meat in Asia, and that's the case in China. China, um, I would say up until a year ago, there probably wasn't that much movement for China in terms of reducing pork consumption, but China's faced some existential crises of late, including the African swine fever that has mm. decimated a huge amount of their pig yes. population. Yeah. And then the other thing is the pandemic has also made meat a lot, pork meat a lot more expensive because for a long time um, there were there was no imports and um, there was no kind of movement across the country and, and for, for various other reasons. So 
you're ending up with um, this situation where meats become more expensive. And so plant-based meats had a real opportunity to shine. And Omni Pork is available in China on, on Tmall. And I'm told, I, I, don't, I don't have proof, but I'm told that the uh, Omni Pork shop on Tmall is the most successful plant-based store on Tmall. So I think there is demand. Um, the fact that Starbucks would launch uh, an Omni Pork and a Beyond Meat menu to f- in 3,000 stores, you know, from one day to the next, shows you that they believe the demand is there. I also, um, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, I, I think that there is a, there is a confluence of factors. There's you know existential threats that means that we need alternatives anyway, and then the consumers are also becoming hugely aware of the importance of reducing their carbon footprint with their dietary choices. Absolutely. I think also with the younger generation, also, you know, the younger Chinese uh, perhaps are also the driving force behind the the demand for for these sort of plant-based meat um, alternatives. Whereas I can see sort of the older generation maybe sort of uh, less reluctant uh, to to try it. I I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe you're totally right. Maybe that's true. Yeah, sorry. Go. That's true in China, but it's also true. You're you're completely right. That's a great observation. But I would say it's not just a trend that holds true here and in China. It's it's a trend that holds true across the entire industry and across all geographies. There's no doubt that younger consumers, I would say millennials down, so millennials, Gen Z, and going into the alpha generation, they're consumers that are. No, they are uh, overwhelmed by the climate crisis and they are very, very aware that they have a role to play in mitigating um, the future effects of the climate crisis. And uh, thank goodness that a couple of years ago, this big link was really made global, made global headlines, which is this idea that, you know, the biggest change you can make to lower your carbon footprint is, you know, reducing your meat and dairy consumption. Yeah. And that's really when the plant-based um, options and other alternative uh, meat options, which are not available commercially yet, but are coming, such as cultivated meat and seafood. That's really when these things started to really pick up momentum and shine, because it's no longer a question of 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 of, of if it's going to happen. It's a question of when it's going to happen. Yes. Um, and finally, Sonali, I did have one question uh, r- regarding um, your, your newsletter. Um, what does 3D printed meat mean? <laughs> that is that's a whole other thing so that's meat created by a, a 3d printer using kind of bio cells and the science of which probably eludes someone like me i think you would want to ask someone uh more uh more of a scientific background person but essentially yes this is another way to produce food and again it's something that governments and uh you know entrepreneurs are really excited about because they because of food security. Because if you have your own 3D food printer, there are people that believe that within 20 to 30 years, we will all have food printers in our home. What? And that we would feed them. Yeah. And that we would feed them capsules that would have, you know, ingredients um, that are that are used by the machine to kind of produce the food you want. So how does um, a 3D print, how does a 3D food printer even work? I mean, what would you put in so that it prints out your, your meat or your corn i don't know how, how does it work so i guess there's the software part where the 3d food printer have you know preloaded recipes and 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 kind of suggestions of dishes you can make and then there's the part where you're feeding certain types of ingredients and oh. um it, i mean it's it's essentially 
just a machine that processes ingredients and creates an end product, right? So you would feed probably the form of, of, the, of the ingredients that you would be feeding in would be different, maybe uh, more liquids or more kind of capsules of different groups of nutrients or, or, or <laughs> textures, essentially. Yes. yes, but that is, there's a ton of development in this. There's a ton of uh, manufacturers that are creating these machines. Wow, this is fascinating. I think it's definitely a topic uh, we can revisit. Maybe there's somebody in Hong Kong that can talk a little bit more um, about uh, 3D printing of food. And meanwhile, Sonali, it's always so eye-opening to have you on the program. It's always great to learn so much uh, about this topic. And I look forward to speaking to you again. Can you remind our listeners once again, if they want to find out more about you and your work, about Green Queen, have you got a website and what's your uh, social media handles? So on social media, we're at @greenqueenhk. Our website is www.greenqueen.com.hk, and um, you can always keep in touch anytime. If you want to email us, it's get in touch at greenqueen.com.hk. Thank you so much for having me again, Noreen. Love your show, and yes. excited to speak to you next time. Yes, definitely. I'll, I'll do some more digging for you about 3D printing. <laughs> Guys, subscribe to Sonali's newsletter. It is absolutely chock-a-block with really good information, everything that you need to know in the world of sustainability and health. Meanwhile, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Thank you very much, Sonali. Bye for now. Thanks so much.